This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast. We're on to week 12 in the National Lacrosse and we'll break down the six games that happened this weekend. Chris Gill, head coach of the Vancouver Warriors, stops by and we'll chat with Dane Dover. His six-game suspension is over and he's ready to get back at it. All that more on OTCB. Cross fan and welcome back to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud, Spotify, and of course the Lacrosse Flash website. My name is Teddy Jenner. You can find me at Off the Crossbar on Twitter, or you can email me teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Keep the emails coming. Love chatting with all of you fans, coast to coast, pole to pole, and around this great world. As mentioned, Chris Gill, head coach of the Vancouver Warriors, will stop by in a little bit. The Warriors coming off a split weekend against Buffalo and Rochester. We'll talk about some of his likes and dislikes in those games. He's got a couple beefs, as it were. But they come away with a big win against the Nighthawks on Sunday. They've now won three of four. They are second in the NLL West, and they have a massive Alterna Cup battle with the Toronto Rock this weekend in Toronto, so another long road trip for this Vancouver Warriors team. But we're going to talk with Dane Doby first this week, and if you've been living under a rock, Dane Doby has been out since game one. And it has been a very long time. Most times, if you get a multiple game suspension early on in the season, you miss a couple weeks here and there. Well, for Dane Doby, it has been almost three months. A six-game suspension that dates all the way back to November 29th just ended this past weekend. But unfortunately for Dane, the Roughnecks, his teammates, the organization, and their fans, they're going to have to wait a little bit longer to see number 44 back on the floor in red and white. It will be against Georgia on February 22nd. But this has been a clouded three months for Dane Doby. The incident happened in that game against Vancouver to start the season. There was no 100% proved account of what was said or what really happened, and we will never get that, and I'm okay with that. We can all move on from that, and Dane Doby is moving on from that. It's not going to be something he's going to be able to move on from quickly, but it's been a learning episode for him. It has been something that he has had to deal with and something that he has done a very good job in dealing with, if you ask me. This is the first time we've heard from Dane since the incident. But as we all know, Dane is a class act. A real beauty of a person. 
And what happened, happened in the heat of the moment. It's not something that he's happy about or proud of. But it happened, and he's learned his lesson, and he is now moving on. And he can get back to focusing on doing what he does best, and that's be shot out of a slingshot from the front door and terrorizing goaltenders. Now, the one silver lining to all of this, he got to spend a lot more time with his wife and daughter. He got to work on his pirouettes. He got to work on his grand plies. But he also had to make sure that he was staying in shape, keeping his mind sharp, and being ready for February 22nd. It's going to be an emotional game, a very heavy game, but an important game for the Calgary Roughnecks and for their man, Dane Doby. And when we caught up with him, he was at home, enjoying some family time, and just glad that this six-game suspension is finally over. Yeah, it's actually been like uh, three months. Yeah, um, no shit. <laughs> it's been, I think, I think I'm around 85 days. Um, I don't know what the whole suspension is, but uh, yeah, it's been long, man. It's like a whole off-season, it feels like, and uh, not playing summer ball. And I'm um, just trying to keep myself in shape and hang around the boys when I can at uh, when we go to Calgary, but um, I'm excited to get back, man. Uh, I know it's, it's a pretty heated topic and a heavy one, but let, let's go back to late November. What happened in that situation, and, and what, can, what have you learned from that moment? You know, it's just uh, it was something that was heated up, um, and uh, it got carried, a little carried away, and, um, you know, it's something that's in the past, I guess. And what mm-hmm. I can do is, uh, just learn from it and, uh, be better from it. And, uh, hopefully, uh, knowing that, uh, that's never going to happen again. Obviously when the news came down, it had to have been pretty crushing, but how has the support of family, friends and teammates helped you get through this three month stretch? Yeah. The lacrosse community is a small community. So, uh, you know, I got a wife and kid at home and they're uh they've been ultra supportive and uh same with uh same with my uh you know the pretty much players throughout the league that uh I've become close with uh, ex coaches and, and that kind of stuff so um it's it's good to see people have your back and, and uh are willing to uh give you a lending hand when needed and um but the big one here is is uh just trying to get back ready and uh, get back on the floor with the with the boys you're a self-claimed not gym guy. <laughs> months, how have you kept yourself in shape? Because that's not an easy thing to stay in game shape when you're not practicing or, or being around the guys. Yeah, like that's that's a tough one uh, for me. It's uh, playing lacrosse gets me in shape, uh, and and when you play year-round, I stay in a steady shape. And uh, being off three months is definitely difficult. I had to go out and uh, grab myself a. Orange Theory uh, gym membership here. And, uh, you know, I started doing some of that stuff and, you know, crushing treadmills and just running on treadmills and uh, getting trying to get my speed and my legs back. And uh, hopefully uh, I'm good enough game shape to be ready to go uh, down in Georgia. What is Orange Theory all about? What's the hype? I don't know, man. It's, <laughs> they, do the, they do the old heart monitor thing and you jump in there and you got to keep your heart uh, right above a certain, certain thing to get some points. And, uh, uh, the competitive mind I am, I, I try and beat everybody in there. And, um, most of the time, I'm unsuccessful at it. 
Um, your teammates, Christian Del Bianco and Curtis Dixon, said you're the fastest guy out of that front door. It's like you're being shot out of a slingshot. What is your secret to being probably the fastest guy from gate to goal? To be honest with you, I don't know, man. I've been doing it for so long. It's, uh, you know, I've had the privilege and, uh, you know, it's been awesome to be at Calgary's front door. And in Calgary, I get back there and forth, and that's where I've always played. And it's 12 years in the making now. So I've always been out first there. And it's just, uh, it's an advantage. My I think my uh, eyes light up right when I see a fast break or something like that. And it's just, uh, I got to get out and get going. And usually, uh, credit to the guys on our team that I played with for a long time is that they're always looking up and they always want to get me the ball. So um, it's definitely a part of the game. I think that's, that's growing like drastically is that is the transition game. Um, but uh, when I, I consider a one-on-one with a goalie, it should be a sure goal and I don't have to beat the defender. So that's, uh, that's something that I like to, you know, work on and, and be able to take that advantage and, and make it a positive one. But you don't want to play actual transition. You just want to benefit from the transition. Yeah, like, you know, I can go back all the way back, uh, you know, the Nolan Hebner days, the John Harnett days, the Mike Kilby days, where those guys just put their head down and ran to the bench. Um, so there's no credit to those guys uh, on the score sheet. But uh, you know how many goals, how many goals players on our, my team have uh, have gotten me off that front door is, is unbelievable through my through my career, and um, it's some some of those things that are little things that win games, and uh, the guys that the defenders that bury their head and run to the door are are little things that make you successful. It also helps have a goaltender who can drop in the bucket. Yeah, he's he's the best in the business of that for sure. So. Uh, well, I could say his practice makes perfect for that thing because he uh, he does that nonstop, all practice long, um, all at the box Monday through Friday. So he loves throwing the ball. He loves starting the transition game. I think it showed last game when he had uh, three three assists there. So he's uh, definitely a ball moving goaltender. Absolutely, your relationship with Kurt Miloski is one that goes back all the way to your junior days. How have you? leaned on him and how has he leaned on you over these last few months just trying to keep your spirits up and, and keep you sort of sane yeah we bounce off each other daily really so uh like you said Kurt and I go back a long time uh he cares about the game more than anybody uh, he's one of the smartest uh if not smartest X and O's guy and uh the best coach I've ever had because he's probably one of the only coaches I've ever had um but you know he's uh he's always got my back and he's always got his guys back on his team. So, um, I respect him a lot and I can, uh, I'm not afraid to reach out to him for anything. And, uh, he's just, he's just always there. He, and he, he cares about his players and, um, that's something that uh, head coach and I'm glad to be a part of, um, I'm very grateful for the opportunity to play with him and coach and uh, be coached by him and win championships with him. So, um, I think we're always going to be friends, lifelong friends. And uh, it's just someone that, uh, like I said before, always is there for, for me if I ever have any uh, problems or issues on or off the floor. He's a, he's a rugged big brother, isn't he? Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> he, was, he was with me in, in Rochester, and I just always remember being able to go to him and talk to him about anything, like you said, on or off the floor. He always was able to lend a ear, but... 
He's just so knowledgeable about the game and studies it so well. What's one of the surprises that you still see from him from week to week being around this team? Surprises? Um, I think... Uh, is it his wardrobe? Is he still wearing track pants on the plane? <laughs> yeah, like... Oh, God. Yeah, that's not, that's not a surprise, though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, the big one to us knows is I think he's, he grows with the game and he's growing with the players and he's growing with the generations of the players. Um, and that's, I think that's very difficult for an old-school... I claim him as an old-school guy. Mm-hmm. Um, he's really uh, changing with the players as the players change and... Uh, how they come in and the new generation of coaching and all that kind of stuff. And you, I've really seen a difference in them in the past few years on uh, practices, um, going to the games, game day routines and stuff like that. But uh, the time that that guy puts in uh, weekly um, to prepare for a game or how he sits on and stews on losses and guys that want to talk to him, it, that's the same old mouse. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, he's just, he's just someone that, uh, like, I can't, He's the best coach in the league, and, and there's no doubt in my mind, and he, and he has been for a long time. And has he got the credit for that? I don't think he has. Um, but uh, I don't think he, he wants it either. He doesn't really care as long as the team's being successful and uh, we're doing the right things. Uh, I think he's, he's good with that. You guys went 2-4 and four over these last six games. What have you liked about your team's play, and what do you notice that kind of needs to be better? Hey, Dana, I lost you. There? Oh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, sorry. I know it's early in the year, and I know we put in, I think it's seven games in now, but uh, I don't know. I think as a group, we just want to grow uh, and grow and get better. It's been uh, been very frustrating for me not being able to help the guys out out there when uh, going through tough times in some of those games, uh, losing some one-goal games. and uh, But when it comes down to it, I think – we just got to try and put full 60 minutes together and uh, get back to our work ethic. Uh, I think we lost a few games there based on taking some five minute laps and 10 minute laps and throw games that, that really cost us. So um, the next stretch of games are, are very important here. We got, uh, you know, we got some Eastern uh, Eastern leaders that we're playing here and then a couple big divisional games. So uh, we're looking at, we're looking at going down to Georgia and that, that's the big one for the next one. How is your young daughter doing? I saw you were at ballet class the other day. Yeah, you know, <laughs> she's uh, she's fantastic. I got to spend, uh, having a three months off got me, uh, you know, spend a little more time at home on weekends with her. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, they grow quick. I don't know. I know everybody with kids can say that, but uh, it's it's crazy. Man. I know last year when we won the championship, she was barely walking. So um, now she's running around doing ballet, doing dances. Women, so you know it's it's busy Monday through Friday. I'll tell you yeah. that. And uh, yeah. but it's it's a lot of fun and a lot of credit goes to uh, my wife and the wives out there that uh, allow their <laughs> allow their husbands, their boyfriends to play the game because they yeah. go away on weekends. Yeah, and, uh, I, I kind of go back to you know things that that people were saying when Kobe passed away that you know they were going to spend more time with their family. And I guess this is a a bittersweet silver lining for you because you couldn't be with your lacrosse family. But like you said, you got to be at home on, on those weekends, spending quality time with your wife and kids that you may have never gotten. How important are those moments? Yeah. It's, it's something that uh, like I'll never forget. And it's, mm-hmm. it's you, you hate coming home on Sundays, missing something that uh, 
at my daughter Danny or something like that when when they're away playing. So it's just uh, there's nowhere else I'd rather be is uh, being at home with my family and kid. And um, obviously we love going together and playing the game we love and going out and, and traveling. But uh, deep down, I wish the game was played at home every game so I could uh, you know be with them or they could travel with me. So. It's just uh, it's just the nature of our sport and nature of sports, really. And uh, but uh, you know they always open arms, and I think the support from uh, my wife is a big one. That uh, she's supportive of when I go away, and and being able to come home and spend time with my daughter, and uh, every time I'm home. You mentioned the Georgia game on the 22nd. Are there going to be nerves, or is it just going to be please let that whistle blow so we can get this game started? To be honest with you, I'm nervous before every game. Um, there'll probably be a bit more nerves than usual. It might be like a first game of the season nerve kind of deal. But all in all, it's really blow the whistle and let's go. Uh, yeah. I still got a bye week this, you know, coming up here. And uh, but yeah, they don't uh, make it easy on you. <laughs> no, no, it's well, no, not at all. Uh, I really just want the whistle to blow and get going again. And yeah. uh, I know once I get uh, on that flight going down to Georgia, it's going to be all all excitement. What lessons do you take away from this from this whole crazy scenario? Um, you know, I've always been someone to play the game uh, on edge with, and I say put with my heart on my sleeve. And you know, it's it's very. You draw strong. You draw a line in the sand, and you know I cross the line, and that's plain and simple. And maybe I have to dial it back a bit, and and that's something that I'm willing to do. But I don't think my game's going to change. Um, the person who I am, I don't think it's going to change. It's just more so, you know, not riding that fine line so tight, and uh, and being able to keep my emotions in check, and, and be able to play, and not letting anybody razz me up or or get, get under my skin, just be able to, just be able to play the game that, you know, deep down I love and want to be competitive at and, and, and hopefully not have any more consequences and, and be able to play my career through. You guys are sitting tied for second in, in the West right now. How important are these next stretch of games for you guys to build some confidence, build some momentum and maybe solidify your spot in the playoffs? Yeah, it's the West Division's crazy. So mm-hmm. the next six games can put you dead last in the league or, or first place in the West. So it, it's one of those things that you know I think we just ride it game by game, um, and I think that's everybody's mentality right now because not scoreboard watch. I think uh, it's still in our hands. Um, I know it's still early in the season, so um, you know destiny's still in our in our hands, and we can uh, we can decide where we want to go with it, but. Uh, the big one is is just show up every weekend. It's 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 proven that the parity in this in this league this year and in the past past years is is so close and so tight that uh, anybody can win on any given night. So it's just you have to bring your A game, uh, game in and game out, and that's uh, that's what we're looking into going down to Georgia with. There is that's Dane Doby of the Calgary Roughnecks, and you could just hear in his voice how amped up he was that this suspension was over, that he's able to be back with his team. He can practice. He can travel. And you can also feel and hear how much that meant to him to be away and how much it hurt to be away and how painstaking it was. And also, 
the remorse in his voice for what happened because he knows he's put his team in a real tough spot. But if we know Dane Doby like we all know Dane Doby, he is going to be even more fired up than ever before. He's going to go to that game in Georgia and want to put 15 in the net by himself. And he probably could. But also knowing Dane is he will do everything in his power to make sure his team is successful. And if that means dishing off, taking a hit, drawing a penalty, or scoring goals, he is going to do everything he can. I would probably say this is going to be one of the most important games in Dane's career just because of everything that happened and now he's back. And having spoken with Dane and having spoken with other people around the league about this situation, he has handled himself extremely well. And I know people wanted to go deeper into what happened and what was said. We've talked about this. It was handled internally by the league and by the Roughnecks and by the PLPA. It's a situation that they all moved on from, so we all must move on from it. And Dane Doby is going to do everything in his power to move on from it, and the best way he can do that is to put the ball in the back of the net and help this Calgary Roughneck squad make a run to the playoffs and a chance for back-to-back titles. That game won't happen until week 13. We got week 12 now. Let's quickly go back real quick and, and wrap up some of the thoughts from what was the halfway mark of the regular season in week 11. Just five games on the schedule. Let's start Friday in Vancouver. Buffalo goes into Rogers Arena. And I don't want to say they completely handled the Vancouver Warriors, but they put a good number on them at 15-8. to eight. We'll talk to Chris Gill about that, but I just think... Buffalo was too high-powered, too fast, too aggressive, too big for Vancouver to handle. Too many weapons, too many ways they can beat you. Vancouver held on, and they battled, but they just weren't on the same level, and they weren't ready to combat the speed of this Buffalo Bandit squad. 7,200 in Vancouver, another good crowd. It's getting bigger and bigger every weekend, but again... Winning will bring more fans to the arena. So they got to continue to get back on that path. Calgary knocks off New York in front of 12,000 people at the Saddle Dome. That's a big win for Calgary. We talked about it the last game without Dane Doby. An important win for this group. Now, a lot of people are saying, you know, Calgary's wins have come against the lesser teams in this league. Well, those are the games you need to win, especially without your MVP. So now that they get Dane back, they can focus on doing what they do best. And I expect to see Calgary start to string some wins together. Saskatchewan meets Colorado 9-7, which was one of the absolute most ridiculous goaltending duels I've ever seen. The Orangeville boys, Evan Kirk and Dylan Ward, going save for save all night long. But unfortunately, the Rush come away with a 9-7 win, take the season series two games to one, create some space atop the Western Division. 
And in the process, along with a Vancouver and Calgary win, send Colorado to fourth in the West. Vancouver and Buffalo had to both travel on Saturday to get to the East. Vancouver goes into Rochester, knocks off the Nighthawks 11-10 in overtime in front of 4,000 fans. Oh, just, by the way, just under 12,000 in Saskatchewan for that game against the Mammoth. Just over 4,000 in Rochester see the Nighthawks lose in dramatic overtime fashion, 11-10. Mitchapalooza, uh, by the way, he's this week's guest on the Stripped Podcast over on Lax Flash with Tyson Geick and Colton Clark. It is a must Listen, Mitch scores the final three goals of the game for the Warriors, including a power play goal, a extra man goal, and a shorthanded overtime winner. There was a lot to talk about in that game. We still need to find a way to get better instant replay angles, overhead cameras, zoom cameras, whatever it may be, because if we would have had that, we probably wouldn't have needed overtime as it looked like Turner Evans' foot was clearly in the crease. We'll talk to Chris Gill about that in a little bit. The final game of the weekend, Toronto beating Buffalo 13-9. Buffalo just ran out of gas in that one. And Toronto gets an important divisional win against the divisional leaders. Toronto has won back-to-back. They've won, I think, five of six. And they're playing some very, very strong lacrosse. Crazy enough that they're 5-2 and two and sitting third in that North Division. They are the third best team on winning percentage alone. But they would get the seventh seed in the playoffs if they were to start right now. That is crazy. The Toronto Rock have a .714 winning percentage. They are 5-2. Overall, they are the third best team in the National Cross League, but because of how the playoffs will work, they would technically finish 7th. So, love the new playoff system or hate the new playoff system, it is going to create some very interesting matchups. We talked about it last week on what the playoff scenario would be as we reached the halfway point. The only change to those playoff matchups was now Vancouver will play Saskatchewan in the 3-4 game. No, without the 3-6 game. The playoffs, I think, are going to be just wild once we get there. We still got a long way to go. We are into week 12 in the National Lacrosse League. Your games this weekend, five on Saturday. Saskatchewan at Halifax. Alterna Cup. The best team in the National Cross League. Number one team in the North versus the number one team in the West. Something's got to give. Just not sure Saskatchewan is on the same level as Halifax right now. I like the Thunderbirds at home. Philadelphia at Buffalo. A storied rivalry in our league. Sure, it's not the same Philadelphia, but it's the same cities, the same fan bases, and there is always going to be that hatred between these two clubs. I cannot wait for this game on Saturday night. It is going to be fantastic. It's in Buffalo. 
Wing still playing some really strong lacrosse. Bandits lost their first game in six. They're still playing ridiculous lacrosse. It will be interesting to see how this Philadelphia team defends a guy like Josh Byrne. What does Paul Day and Ian Rubel have up their sleeve to limit the scoring opportunities of Josh Byrne? who currently sits 7th in National League scoring. Dane Smith since sits tied for 2nd with Holden Katoni at 48 points. And for those keeping score at home, Mitch Jones is your league leading scorer on 56 points. He also has a league leading 24 goals. New York at Georgia. Georgia, can they finally put something together? Can they string some wins together? They've won two in a row. Can they get to three in a row and climb back up into a playoff spot in that Eastern Division? The last time these two teams played, we all thought Georgia was going to put a whooping on New York. It ended up being an overtime thriller. And New York got their first win. Dan McCray, you might remember that. So can Georgia find some redemption at home? I think so. Another Alterna Cup battle on Saturday night, Vancouver at Toronto. Uh, I really like this matchup. I think that this is going to be one of the games of the weekend. I believe it's the NLL game of the week as well for those of you watching on BR Live, Facebook, and Twitter. Toronto's playing too good of lacrosse to lose at home to the Vancouver Warriors, but I think Vancouver pushes them deep, deep into that game. Also wouldn't surprise me if Mitch Jones steals the show and goes off for 7-4. and four. San Diego at Colorado, a rematch of Vegas two weeks ago. It'll be the first time San Diego has played since that game, so they've had some time off to rest, recoup, get healthy. I'm pretty sure they kind of stayed away from all things lacrosse last week. Just reading some of the game notes that the SEAL sent out. I think they just let the guys get away from each other, reset, get everybody focused, and they'll get back at it this week in Colorado. I'm going to pick Colorado because that's just a smart play for me. But we all have to look at history between these two clubs so far. In the four games... San Diego and Colorado have played since the Seals have come into the league. San Diego was 4-0. They've chased Dylan Ward all four times. And now they come into Denver. It'll be Jeremy Noble's first game back in Denver. He played his entire career there. I think this is going to be a very emotional game for him. I think this is going to be a very intense game for both clubs. And a must win if you are a Colorado Mammoth. A must win. They are slowly losing ground in the West Division. Like I said, they're currently sitting in fourth at four and six. They played the most games out of anybody in the entire league. And they need to start winning games now. They play six of their final eight at home. They played two games in all of April. So now is a time for this club, if they are going to be a playoff contender, they need to start winning games now. 
And of their final eight games, like I said, six of them are at home. But they play San Diego, Philadelphia, Rochester, Calgary. Then they go to Toronto and New York back-to-back to end March. Then they come home for New England and Vancouver in April. Not saying that all those games are easy games because they're not. But there are some games in there that, looking at the schedule, they should win. There's some games already been played in the schedule that they're going to look back and thought, we should have won. But you can't look back. You always got to look forward. The focus right now has to be on San Diego. I think they're going to make some in-game adjustments. I don't think they're going to allow guys to stand behind the net all alone and dunk freely on Dylan Ward. We saw them make that adjustment against Saskatchewan last weekend. We've seen them do that in the past. So it'll be very interesting to see how Pat Coyle defends Patrick Merrill's offense. I think it's going to be a real good coaching battle in that game, but I think it's going to be a heck of a lacrosse game. I think Dylan Ward will rise to the occasion. The Seals did activate Frank Shiliano, so will they bring him back and make him their starter, or will they ride Nick Damood? If I was a betting man, I'd say Damood gets that start. And then the final game on Week 12 is Sunday, Philadelphia at New England, a massive East Division clash. Of course, Philadelphia will have been in Buffalo the night before. I think it's like a seven or eight hour bus ride. That's a good bonding trip, not a very comfortable one at times, but I think that's a good opportunity for the Wings to get out on the road again. A little bit of travel. Hopefully the weather is good and they can get there at a reasonable time, get some rest and play that game 5 p.m. Eastern time. So they'll have plenty of time to sleep once they get to to the casino. But coming off a tough game against Buffalo, I like New England to win that game at home against a travel-weary Philadelphia team. So those are your six games in Week 12. And we mentioned Mitch Jones is your league-leading scorer on 56 points, 24 and 32. Your number one goaltender is Evan Kirk with a 8.69 goals against and a .813 save percentage fall closely by Doug Jamison, Zach Higgins, Warren Hill, and Dylan Ward rounding out your top five. I love the look of this goalie pool right now. Because we often talk about the depth of the goaltender pool moving forward. And I've always been a little concerned about guys being able to step in and step up and carry a workload as a number one. Well, Doug Jamison, Zach Higgins, and Warren Hill are proving that you can still be young in this league and have success. Zach Higgins has been around this league for a while, but in relative terms, he's still pretty young as a starter. Doug Jamison and Warren Hill have been backups for most of their early careers. They got some chances to be starters late last year, and now giving the number one role, they are both proving that they are legit, confident, and stable in that number one spot. And I I still think there's going to be some issues moving forward with that goaltender pool and the depth of it. But those young guys are showing us right now that if you give guys a year or two 
the learning curve is starting to get a little bit quicker. And these young guys are putting the world on notice that they can play some damn good lacrosse between the pipes. Another goalie that is playing extremely well between the pipes is Eric Penny of the Vancouver Warriors. 10.5 goals against, a .811 save percentage, but he continues to give incredible minutes to head coach Chris Gill and GM Dan Richardson. They have moved on from Aaron Bold, which I believe gives Eric Penny a vote of confidence. And it has allowed him to settle in between the pipes. Because when you have a guy like Aaron Bold who is backing you up, but the competitor that Boldy is, he wants to be the number one guy. If you're Eric Penny, you got to constantly be looking over your shoulder. And when you have a guy as talented as Aaron Bold, you understand that the coaching staff will probably want to give him his chances. So Eric Penny was put in a real tough position because he kind of thought that that was going to be his job. And he had to fight Aaron Bold for it. And as the year has gone on, Eric has clearly shown that he was the better of the two goaltenders. But when you have an NLL champion, a Man Cup champion, one of the best to play the positions, going toe-to-toe with right beside you, it can be a a little bit of a mind-bender. And so when... Vancouver made the ultimate decision to part ways with Aaron Bold. It had to bring a lot of ease to the mind of Eric Penny and giving him that confidence to know that if he lets a couple soft ones in or the opposing team goes on a bit of a run, Chris Gill's not going to be so quick to give him the hook. They're going to let him work through some of those moments and some of those tough stretches. And that's the confidence that these young goaltenders need. Warren Hill, Dougie Jameson, Zach Higgins, Eric Penny. You got to give even Nick Daymood in San Diego. You got to give these guys the chance to make mistakes and to recover from those mistakes. Hell, look at Ryland Hartley this past weekend making his first career start. He had some tough stretches. You could have understood if Mike Hazen made the flip and went, to the backup, but no. He said, kid, we're going to ride you. We have all the confidence in you. Go get it done. And Ryland Hartley almost got it done. I really think he deserved a bit of a better fate in that game because he did play so incredibly well for Rochester. He's going to get his wins. He is going to learn quickly because that kid is very much an incredible understudy. And he has learned how to play the game properly and he's bided his time, and he's now showing that he can be a number one. He'll have some growing pains, just like Eric Penny has had some growing pains. But Eric Penny has now shown that he is a number one. And Chris Gill and the Vancouver Warriors couldn't be more thrilled. The Warriors have had some tough road trips over the last few weeks. And they're still not done. But... They're going to play a stretch of games in the next couple weeks where they're all against Western Division teams. I think of their final nine games, six of them are in the West Division. So they're going to have to take care of business, and Chris Gill and his group have a real strong faith with that club 
that they can get it done. As I mentioned, with that win against Rochester, it vaulted them to second in the West. Now, there's not a lot of room between second and fifth in that division, so now every game becomes that much more important. And for Chris Gill, he'd like to see a little bit more consistency, not just from his players, but officials as well, because he had a few gripes to bear in that game against Buffalo. But we'll start just talking about how this Vancouver team has become real road warriors. This little stretch we're going through right now is our, our little tough stretch here, but you know, talking to other coaches, uh, every team's kind of going through the same thing. If it's bye weeks or long travel uh, months, whatever it may be, uh, this is our turn, and you know we're, we're taking it head on. Let's go back to, to the Buffalo game. I want to go back to the comment that you made to the press and Adam Levy after the game. You weren't very happy with the treatment your goaltender Eric Penny got. How can the league make that rule more clear so that we're not in these gray areas of one game it's called and one game it's not called? Uh, yeah, you know, that's a tough question uh, to answer. Um, all, all I know is if, if guys are rolling into the, into the goalie's knees, whatever team, if it's your goalie or the opposing goalie or someone in another division, you know, it's, it's not good for the league because we're going to be down goalies um, and nobody wants that. I, I just, just it's, it's the inconsistency with it where, you know, sometimes uh, the leeway of, of going through it and maybe a possible guy guiding him in or it might not be a guide, but it looks like he's guiding him in. And I feel bad because, you know, it's tough for the refs to make those uh, judgment calls on the spot like that. So, um, I don't know what the answer is, to be honest. It's just, um, I don't want times that can get a little bit crazy, especially if you're playing against a dynamic team like Buffalo, that uh, they can shoot to the outside and, and drive hard to the net. And when they're driving, they can shoot in the run, or, you know, Kern can just put the brakes on and dive across. So, um, all I know is it felt like it was seven, eight, nine, ten times that game that we had guys going through our net and rolling into our goalie. Yeah, a couple times we got them in, and a couple times we didn't. Uh, you know, it, there has to be that warning or that call or, or you know, bring the captains over and say, hey, guys, like, settle this down here um, or we're going to call something. But nothing was done, and that's when, you know, the crap starts and guys try to protect their goalies, and next thing you know, a player gets 33 minutes on, on something where he really didn't do a whole lot. But that's, that's the game right now. When you compare your effort from Buffalo to Rochester, what was the biggest difference, you think? Well, um, we talked about it before the game. We talked about it, uh, about just having some heart and character and pride and, and you know, some resiliency and, and forget about what just happened in, in the Buffalo game because we kind of thought we were in it and all of a sudden we were completely out of it. So uh, it was a matter of refocusing and retooling. And Rochester came out hot and they were strong and they were, they were dictating everything. And um, at that point, we kind of said it again. Hey, what do we have here, boys? What do we want to do? And it's up to us to make the make the changes and, and come out hard in the second half. And I think the difference is that we showed that we weren't we were, there's no quit in the team, and we had a lot of heart, character, and pride. And guys took it upon themselves to uh, just be a little bit better. And as a group, it uh, it, it showed on the uh, on the scoreboard, you know, two goals in the second half. And I don't know how many minutes they went without scoring a goal. So our defense, our goaltending, really stepped up. And um, you know, our offense just kind of fought through it and. and got us some goals when we needed to. So um, I just think it's, uh, you know, it showed that we had a little more heart and character and, and a little bit of proof in ourselves. That was kind of the difference for us. 
I don't want to say you guys didn't have that last year because I, I would never say a player doesn't have heart or character or pride in what they do. But maybe if this was last year, that game doesn't quite go your way. And this year you're starting to get some of those goal, games go your way. You're starting to get some of those lucky bounces and breaks. What's been the biggest difference as a team and as a franchise from year one under the Canucks to now? Well, for starters, the lucky bounces. I kind of think we got ooped on the lucky bounce <laughs> in the Rochester game, if we want to be completely honest. Uh, I was going to ask you about that. I was going to ask well, you about that. We didn't get the lucky bounces there, but I'll tell you that. But, uh, I, you know, I think the biggest difference is uh, just the belief. Um, you know, we tried to bring it in last year, and, you know, um, you don't want to be looking in the rearview mirror and, and talking about, you know, what happened last year or the year before or the year before. But for us, um, it's about a new group. New coaching staff, new ownership, new brand, all that stuff. So let's start fresh, and who cares what the past was? Um, so we started that last year, and I just think, honestly, it just, it just keeps on building into this year. And, you know, as you get a group of guys starting to believe, and it gets contagious, and and all that kind of stuff together, it, uh, I think it just, you know, it just breeds winning. So that's kind of where what I, my thoughts are on that. Let's talk about the the – Goal, no goal, crease call, not a crease call. What was the the reasoning given to you by the officials for not calling that a no goal? Did um, you get we one? Didn't get any, we didn't get any. Any they wouldn't come talk to us. So we to this, I I still haven't got an explanation. Um, yeah, they wouldn't talk to us, and we, our captains were trying to talk to them, and there wasn't a whole lot given. So uh, it just yeah, it was a bit of a kick in the gut too. Uh, we. <laughs> We got the goal taken away on on our goal, and we got a penalty on it too. We're right talking about hitting the goalie and stuff, and I've watched it ten, fifteen times, and honestly, I McBride did not hit the goalie. I couldn't see it. I never saw it, and he said he didn't hit the goalie, and so it goes from what we had two nights before to the other extreme of us getting a penalty on that. So mm-hmm. kicking the gut instead of being six five, they get a power play and it's seven four. So, um, yeah, battle through all that stuff, and, yeah, we're lucky to get out uh, on the right side of the win column. And then the Turner Evans play where his foot looked like it was on the line, did you get an explanation from that one? Nope. 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 Uh, just all I, – I got was the exact same thing. You got listened to the uh, NLL Wired and uh, on the replays and just kind of listened to that after the game, watched the game over, and, yeah, it clearly looked like he was standing in the crease. I, I – I, yeah, I don't know what the reasoning was, but he was standing in the crease with his left foot and then pulled the ball out. So maybe he reset himself. I don't think he did, but I don't know how you don't call that. Our, that could both, have, both, both, bench, both benches were ready to, like, they weren't going for a face-off there. Both benches, right. we had our O out, they had their D out, we were ready to go, and it was like, oh, my. Okay. Are you kidding me? All right, here yeah. we go. Yeah. <laughs> that that was a bounce, as you said, that that didn't go your way. But you guys could have, you know, easily folded the tents there. But we saw the the heart and the passion from Mitch Jones. He scores your three final goals: a power play goal, a six on five goal with five seconds left to force overtime, and then a shorthanded goal. How impressive was that stretch for him as a leader of this team? Yeah, it was huge. Uh, Mitch has been doing an unbelievable job for our group, and. Um, you know, sometimes you, you you need a guy to to go off like that and carry a team, and um, it was huge. He, he's like, I've said it a couple times the last couple of weeks. Like, unless you know him, 
you, you kind of see what you, you think what you see, and it's not what you actually who he is. He, mm-hmm. he the guy is the most competitive guy I've ever met. He like he wants to win at everything. If it's whatever, walking faster in the airport, I don't know. The guy wants to win every shift. He, he's dialed. He, he looks miserable at times on the floors because he wants to be better. Um, yeah, so for him to do that and go on that little stretch, that's, uh, that's pretty special. And, you know, we've seen it a couple times out of a couple superstars over the years. And, you know, we're just lucky that we had him uh, on our team and, and had him go on that, uh, that Sunday afternoon. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was great. Who's more important to you guys? success early on Eric or Mitch I think you'll ask every every coach you always want your goalie your goalie yeah. is so important goaltending is such a big thing in this league if you got good goaltending that's half the battle right there um yeah when Eric's on we're usually really good so um our defense plays better and they feed off each other and and then as an offensive group you see that and it's it, can be a little bit easier for that group, uh, knowing that your your goaltender is doing what he's doing, your team's doing what he's doing. You can have a team that scores a lot of goals, but if your goalie's not stopping the ball or your defense isn't helping you, you're in trouble. Do you think when you guys moved on from Aaron Bold that gave him a boost of confidence? I would think so. Yeah, he's a confident kid as it is, and um, you know, uh, just a nice little shot in the arm, saying, "Hey, here you go. Here's your net." And, do what you got to do. So I, I think he's really stepped up from that point. And um, I know he, he really liked Goldie and um, sort of all our players, but uh, you know, it was a decision we had to make. And um, you know, it's been fortunate that uh, the Eric Penny has stepped up and, and been real solid between the pipes. Do you regret cutting Paul Bissonnette? <laughs> he was mean to me. Was he? <laughs> He, he he was he was chirping me on the floor. No, he was you know that was a great thing there. He uh he's he's a pretty funny guy and um you know all the content all that kind of stuff. He uh he, he knows what he's doing. He's uh he's a bit of a legend out there. So you know what he's the guys loved him and um he came in the second game there uh, a couple weeks ago and and yeah he loves the sport now. He's never seen it before. So yeah that was an awesome little week we had there with him trying out or so called trying out. Do you think that was uh, was a good thing for your guys? Like it wasn't a distraction. I know a lot of guys have said it wasn't a distraction. It was a benefit for you guys just to kind of have a, a little camaraderie thing with the group. How fun was that? You think for the guys? Oh, it was huge. It was huge. Um, as much as probably the if there was a a bit of a a complaint or whatever, or if there was any complaining, it would have been from the coaches because we just want to do our thing in camp. Yeah, yeah. be dialed in, right? But uh, it was fun for us as well. But but you know the players. It's if you go into the rink and doing the grind every day, and, and especially throughout camp, it's it's nice to have a couple of days off like that where you can have some fun. And and uh, yeah, he was uh, he was well received in that dressing room. So um, yeah, it was good for us. The guys loved it. You guys get to go to Toronto now. Uh, you're playing another team that's kind of found their legs. You had Buffalo last week. Uh, you've had New England when they were playing their best lacrosse of the season. Now you go to Toronto, who've won five of six. Is this a good thing for your team as you move forward to a tough stretch against the West in your final few games to, to play some of the best teams in the other divisions? Yeah, I think so. Uh, there aren't too many teams that aren't, uh, aren't rolling right now, so it's, uh, it seems like every week it's another, another team um, that's on a roll. So for us, it's good. We just got to keep our momentum going and, 
and believing in each other and our system. And uh, at the end of the day, uh, we got Toronto, and then you know we have a tough Western Division. Uh, another one, we got Georgia at the tail end. Like it's not getting any easier. So um, if you want to make the playoffs and you want to, you know, go deep in the playoffs, these are the games that matter. So bring it on right now, and let's see how we react to it. Six of nine against the West to, to end your regular season. You talked about the importance of, of winning. Oh, are, are we making our Tim Hortons order? No, I'm waiting for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you got six of nine against the West. Uh, that's going to be a tough stretch for you guys, but it'll really show where you guys where you guys are. And like you said, if you want to make the playoffs, you got to beat the teams in your own division. Yeah, you do. Um, they're it's, baseball games are so important, but I, I've been saying it since uh, the new playoff structure here. Um, the, the non-divisional games are as important because you're still fighting them for playoff spots as well. So right. it's a little, it's a little different this year. It's new. And, um, you know, you need to, you need to be at least 50, 60, hopefully 70% um, in non-divisional games. If you want to have a chance for the playoffs, if you win your division and you don't win in, in outside of your division, there's, there's still a chance you don't make the playoffs. So it's uh it's different this year where usually you're just taking care of what you got to do in your, inside your division. You got to take care of games all over the place now. So, um, but you know what, this stretch here that we got uh, playing um, a lot of the Eastern teams, um, you know, we, we're off to a, a pretty good start and, and we got to finish it and carry that momentum that we built into the uh, six of nine at the end of the year here. So yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be fun down the stretch here. Uh, a couple more before, you, before we let you go. Uh, I know everybody was looking forward to playing the game on the Marine Corps Air Base in Miramar. Um, obviously, the situation at hand has that game being moved to Pechanga, but how how much were you looking forward to what would have been a really cool historic event? Um, yeah, you know, it was going to be different, that's for sure. So, uh, didn't have a whole lot of details of how it was going to work. Uh, um, they're pretty tight on their security, so I don't even think we were going to be able to see the facility until you know, two hours before the game. So that it was going to be, it was going to be different for both teams. So, um, you know, it's unfortunate that all the stuff's going down and they, they had to, to move it because, um, you know, it would have been uh, pretty special to be out there doing that, but yeah, you got to move on and you got to roll with the punches and everything changes day to day in this league. So we're ready for whatever comes our way. Right. 10 years ago, the Vancouver Olympics, debuted in Vancouver. What were your memories of what was a, a pretty remarkable and, and memorable 14 days? Uh, you know what? I remember uh, the Canadian uh, pride that was uh, all over the place. Everyone had their, uh, their red and whites on. And um, yeah, it was, uh, it was a buzz. I worked downtown, so I was uh, uh, seeing all the, uh, all the crowds all the time. So, you know, just the buzz and, and the pride that, uh, you know, we were, we were all Canadians and, and the Olympics were here, and, and we were doing some uh, pretty good things there. So, yeah, it just the pride was huge. I was in downtown Vancouver working during that, during the Olympics, and Chris is right. It was a phenomenal buzz around the city. I, I still can't believe it was 10 years ago that Vancouver hosted the Olympics and the world. So many great memories. Obviously, Canada winning gold, um, the Canadian men's and women winning hockey gold. But uh, like Chris said, the pride of Canadians and just seeing all the flags and, and the smiling faces around the city of Vancouver, but from people all over the world that were there just enjoying 
what was an incredible time. I remember in the early parts of the, the Olympics where the weather was just crap. It was raining in Vancouver, probably like it is right now. And they were really worried if there was going to be enough snow. They were they were making snow. They were bringing in snow from higher parts of some of the mountains just to make sure that the mogul runs were, were clean and smooth and the aerial runs were, were packed. There was a lot of doubt early on. And obviously there was um, the unfortunate incident where the skeleton or the, the loser from Georgia lost his life on the track and there was some concern that the track was too fast and they were going to have to cancel the event. They actually moved people, the starting mark for that event, like down 10, 15 meters to maybe curb some of their speed. But then the Canadian Olympic team just started to win medals and win medals and win medals. And there was the whole own the podium campaign where the Canadian Olympic Federation put millions of dollars into their athletes to make sure that this was going to be an Olympics to remember. Because if I remember correctly, in the past Olympics of Calgary and Montreal, Canada didn't win a single gold in those Olympics. And so to have the results that they did in Vancouver 2010 with the hockey team, with uh, John Montgomery walking through the, t the square of Whistler, drinking a pitcher of beer. Everything about the Vancouver 2010 Olympics were absolutely incredible. I, I will never forget them. And I know other people who are in the city or up in Whistler or just around the province will never forget them either. A couple career milestones to get you up to date on before we get out of here on this week's episode of the show. Uh, Dylan Ward looking for his 50th career win. Also, 50 saves gets him 4,000 in his career. Ed Camo's next win will tie him with Troy Cordelier for third place on the all-time list with 103 wins. Mike Poulin needs just 19 saves to pass Steve Dietrich for sixth all-time on the NLL saves list. Ryan Benesh just needs five goals to pass Josh Sanderson for seventh all-time with 450 and needs seven assists to get to 600 in his career. New England's Callum Crawford needs just four points to pass Mark Stainhouse for 10th on the all-time list with 1,014 points. Brody Merrill needs just 17 loose balls to become the all-time leader with 2,518 passing Jimmy Feltman. Jeff Shatler needs one more assist to make him the 16th player in league history to reach 500. Dan Dawson, who just recorded his career assist number 900, needs six more to pass Josh Sanderson for second all-time with 909. He needs five goals to pass Colin Doyle for fourth on the all-time list with 528. And Nick Rose's next win will tie Rob Blaisdell for 8th all-time with 67 career victories between the pipes. So some big milestones for some legendary players coming up this weekend in the National Lacrosse League. One more thing before we go. Uh, a great tweet from Graham Perrow uh, about our interview last week with Rick Sowell just talking about how cool it was to listen to a player from back in the day and to hear his story and things that he went through. 
But more importantly, what I took from that tweet was what Graham said at the end, and that was the fact that he had never heard of Rick Soul. And so as a league, we need to do a better job of recognizing our past. Yes, we have been around for 34, 35 years, something like that. This league has been around for quite some time. But we are still fairly new in the idea of media covering our, covering our league, fans knowing all about our league, and the past that often seems to be forgotten, and that was the MILL. A league that in the early 90s was predominantly American. And if you go back and watch some of those old clips that are on YouTube, watch the amount of guys that are switching hands just freely in the middle of the floor on the offensive side of the ball. The game has come so far since those early days of spandex and bubble cages and wild crowds in Baltimore. And the fact that a guy like Rick Soule, who is a three-time All-Pro, one of the pioneers for African-American players in our sport. The fact that a lot of people have no idea who he was is a shame. And it's not right. And I know myself and others have said this, that we need to get the NLL Hall of Fame back up and running, and that is of the utmost importance for guys like Sean Williams and Gavin Proud and Lewis Ratcliffe and Mark Stainhouse and, and John Grant and Tracy Kluski, all these guys that are in and some of these guys that still have yet to be inducted. But I still think we need to do a better job of recognizing Americans that have played in the indoor game. Guys like Reggie Thorpe and Casey Powell and Jay Jalbert and the list goes on. But we need to recognize guys who played before the NLL. Guys that made the NLL what it is today by sacrificing their bodies for 250 bucks a night. Yes, we need to get the NLL Hall of Fame back up and running to honor guys who have played this game, but we need to go back into the annals of history and look to where we came from and recognize so many of those players. And I hope that when the NLL does announce a new Hall of Fame process, that we are able to recognize some of the greats from long ago. Week 12 is upon us. Six games, five on Saturday, one on Sunday. You can watch them all on BR Live. Of course, the game of the week, Vancouver at Toronto. Saturday night free on BR Live, Twitter, and Facebook. Big thanks to Dane Doby for coming on the show. Welcome back, my friend. I can't wait to see you strap on the pads next weekend down in Georgia. Thanks to Chris Gill. Safe travels to Toronto. Hopefully you're collecting your air miles. And as always, thanks to you, our loyal fan, for listening as always. My name is Teddy Jenner. Find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar or email me teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Enjoy the games this weekend, everybody. And until next time, be excellent to each other. I am an apple. I was born.